You're listening to a podcast of The River in Durant, Oklahoma. You can visit us online at theriverdurant.com. We hope this podcast is a blessing to you and you can even bless someone else with it. Your life. God has a snapshot of you, a picture that he carries constantly engraven on the palms of his hand. For some of you, you might be thinking, does God really know me? Does God really care about me? Does he really know what's going on in my life? I want to tell you, God knows what's going on in your life. Verse 16 of Isaiah, it says, Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hand, and thy walls are continuously before me. Before that verse, it's talking about can a woman forget her own child that she gave birth to? Can she have no compassion any longer? And it says, yes, a woman or a man might forget you, but I, God, will never forget you. How many of you have pictures of your family in your wallet thanks to Kodak? Thanks to modern technology, they're probably on your phone, your iPad. You can just pull them up and you look back at the fondest memories of your family, the event that you just had with them at a birthday, that you just had an event with them at Christmas last year, whatever it is, but you got pictures and you go through there and you're looking at all the pictures to bring back memories. Well, I want to tell you something. God has something better than any modern technology can ever give us. He has an engraven picture of you in the palm of his hand. I, I want you to take a look at your palm. One word says that he has tattooed you in the palm of his hand. And what I got out of that is that you're permanently there. And how many of you see your hands on a regular basis? What makes you think that God's any different? That he doesn't see his palm and his hand on a regular basis? I know the devil. I know family. I know others will tell you God has forsaken you and forgotten you. But he has not forsaken you. He has not forgotten you. And one of the things that I really like is it says that your walls are ever and continuously before him. And the word walls there represents your life. Your personality. What you're going through. Now I don't know about you, but that's good news. That is such good news. Not only does God have a picture of you, every time he scratches his forehead, he sees John Rogers. Every time he picks right by his nose, he sees John Rogers. When he wipes his leg clean of dirt off his hand, he sees John Rogers. Everything he does, he has to see me. The scripture says he has me engraven on the palm of his hand. And God is not such a man that he should lie. I, I don't know if that changes your financial situation because every time he reaches into his wallet to take out some money, right there I am. I don't know about you if it changes your marriage or not. Every time he pulls out a hanky to wipe the tears away from my eyes because I don't understand my precious loved one, there I am. I asked you to go with me on your expectation, to change your expectation, to expect something from God today, because I believe each and every one of us have a wall Amen. that needs God to touch. I was standing here, and God spoke to me. He said, Joshua took them across the river. And as soon as they came across the river Jordan, they crossed into Jericho, where there was a great wall. When God usually speaks to me about certain things he wants to do, that all we have to do is participate with him. All we have to do is agree with him. He's going to do it all. I believe what I call that is the gift of faith. In other words, he's released faith for us right in here. If you'll grab on, there's going to be something happening in your life today that you did nothing. God's going to do it for you. Amen. So good. So I said, the walls. He said, yeah. He says, he says, the walls, when they got there, he said, they had to follow the instructions of Joshua. Keep quiet for six days. 
Many of you have kept quiet longer than six days about your problem. Then on the seventh day, they were told to march and go around it. I'm just filling you in case you're watching me scholarly here, making sure I'm following scriptures. Six times, and then on the seventh time, at the sound of the trump, you're to shout. And when they shouted, it says the walls came tumbling down, that there was none of the walls of Jericho standing, not even to the place where one brick was left upon another, but they were all in, 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 in it was in uh, shambles to the place that they didn't see any structure left. See, that's what God's plan is for your life concerning anything the devil has done to you. Right. That he completely, when you walk through the, water, the river Jordan, through the new birth, you came through Jesus. Sometimes you just got to shout at your problem. Sometimes you just got to raise your voice at your problem. Hallelujah. And that's what I'm going to do here in just a second. I'm going to ask every one of us to stand to our feet. And when you begin to shout, that's your participation towards your problem. Amen. That is all you got to do. And upon your shouting, that is the exercising of your faith. God will see that just like the widow's little Shunammite that she gave the two bits. God said she had the greatest faith of all in that situation. And then that wall is going to crumble. Let me give you some quick ideals of what I'm believing God's telling me. Eyesight, nerve endings, blood flow financial, marital problems. Let me explain marital problems right quick because this is one of the things in the church that amaze me. When pastors say, I want to pray for marriages, most people want to sit down because they don't want anybody to know that there's a problem. And most of the time, God tells me I'm not after problems. I'm trying to improve their marriage. It's not that he ever wants to point out problems. He wants your marriage to be the best that it can be. And I promise you, your marriage has room for improvement, whether you've been married 70 or one year or one day. We all need improvement because we're constantly on the change. And so when we stand to shout, I'm going to count to three when we do. And upon that, please, please, Surprise me that you have faith concerning this. Don't go, ah. You know what? If that's where you're at, I understand. But when they shouted, they shouted. So I want to ask everybody to stand with me. I want you to remember that God has you in the palm of his hands, that he sees you continuously, and he knows. Please don't try to hide. He knows what it is that you're going through right this minute. On three, we're going to shout at the top of our lungs. One, two, three. Thank you, Father. Glory. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. Amen. Come on. Praise the Lord. That's wonderful. Faith needs legs. It needs actions. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 6. Galatians 3, 6, our starting point today. I'm going to be looking at a number of verses of Scripture. I'm going to take you to Genesis before this is over with. But Galatians 3, 6 says, Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, know ye therefore that they which are of faith the same are the children of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, And these shall all nations be blessed. So then they which are of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. That just says there that you are the children of Abraham. And what brought Abraham into relationship with God 
is what brings you into relationship with God. Abraham did not come into relationship with God because he performed all that well. He, he got into relationship with God because he believed what God promised him. Amen. And the big promise that you are supposed to believe is that Christ died for your sins. God made a promise to the whole world that when Jesus died, He would lay the sins of the whole world over on Him. And that whoever would just believe that simple message, that they then would be made righteous the same way Abraham was made righteous. Does it need to get any simpler than that? I mean, a seven-year-old can understand it. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and He was buried, and He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. It's appalling to me how much preaching goes on. People who are called to preach the Gospel, and they never even say the Gospel. They preach about everything around them sun and back, but they never talk about the gospel, what Jesus really did. The gospel isn't how you're supposed to perform. The gospel is the news of how He performed. Hallelujah. Glory to God, and that God got over it. He's no longer angry. No, God did not send the hurricane to swarm, to swarm New Orleans. I, I can be that good a prophet. All i got to do is watch the weather report. <laughs> Hurricane's been swarming New Orleans ever since time began. You don't have to be a prophet to predict that. Predict that one's going to hit Omaha. Now we're listening. <laughs> All right. God, God, God got over it. He got over it. Genesis chapter 17. Thoroughly dealt with his anger in Christ. Genesis chapter 17 is where we're going to find out about Abraham and the blessing that is upon him. And when Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and you be perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Today I want to talk to you about really about the four evidences of life. There are four evidences that anything is alive. The first one is that it has appetite. It has growth. It has reproduction. And it has elimination. It's a nice word for going to the bathroom. It has appetite. It has growth. It has reproduction. And it has elimination. Let's say it together. Appetite, growth, Reproduction, elimination. Everything that's alive has these four functions happening. Appetite, growth, reproduction, elimination. Now, it doesn't mean that everything that is alive must reproduce in the same way. You know, once, once a person reaches a certain age, or grandparents, great-grandparents, they don't naturally reproduce uh, children and grandchildren or children at that time but, and they're still alive so they're reproducing in other ways how many of you understand what, the, what that means how many of you have reached that point where you've stopped having babies and yet you still see the need for significance to reproduce yourself in some way in others, that's, that's part of what going to church does for you, it's part of what being involved in your community does for you it allows you to reproduce in other ways so everything that's alive has this in it Appetite, growth, reproduction, and elimination. And all of these are repeated over and over in this passage of Scripture. I, I believe this church can grow and should grow. And you know what the number one reason why I believe this church should grow? I'm not saying this church is supposed to be thousands of people or hundreds. I don't, I don't even care about any of that. But I believe that God, how many of you believe that God provided this building? Well, He did not provide this building just for us to heat and cool the thing. He provided that the size it is and the chairs we have so that he is expecting these, these people. I, I just believe all this was the plan of God. How many of you think it was the plan of God? So let's, let's just at least get our hearts out there to fill this place, to grow to, grow to this place. Is that, is that fair enough? Without any kind of legalism, without me cracking a whip and saying, you need to go witness to your friends. I just can't stand that stuff. I can't stand when preachers, I mean, I, I, I like witnessing, but I'm, I just don't like when preachers get up and say, you've got to go, you go tell people, you know, what, what kind of Christian are you unless you're just cracking a whip all the time. Hello, sheep don't need that. If sheep are properly fed and cared for, they give birth. If, if they're, proper, if they, if they're t tended to and they're fed and they, the wolves are kept away from them, they will reproduce. 
Okay? But it's really about our expectation. What, what are we expecting? Are we expecting appetite and growth? Well, let's just read the scriptures and, and let, it, let it teach us. Is that all right today if I say these things to you? I love you very much. You all know that. And Abram, verse 3, And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, Well, let, let me just back up. I will multiply the exceedingly there in verse 2, that growth is part of your covenant. Let's just say that. Growth is part of your covenant. That's what that, that's what that text says. Growth is part of your covenant. As children of Abraham, God said these things to Abraham, that he wants you to grow. He wants you to grow in all kinds of ways. Wherever you are financially, it's the will of God for you to do better. Wherever you are, wherever you are physically, it's the will of God for you to do better. Wherever you are in, in all areas of your life, it's the will of God. So you've, got the, so you've got the book of Exodus, I mean, you've got the book of Ephesians, and I hope it's not Exodus. Uh, you've got the book of Ephesians memorized. If you're going to memorize one, please memorize something that Paul wrote first, okay? Because uh, you Gentiles have to understand this, that, that that's the part we know was written to us. What Paul wrote was written to us, the apostle to the Gentiles. Hello, they make a big deal about the difference between Jews and Gentiles all through the New Testament and those that were called to the Jews and those that were called to the Gentiles, completely different thing. You understand that? You Gentiles did not even get saved until Acts chapter 10. Not one Gentile, not one Gentile. Everybody say not one Gentile. Not one Gentile was saved on the day of Pentecost. Not one. They weren't saved under that message then and they're not saved under that message now. Saved under the message of Acts chapter 10 were the first Gentiles. Glory to God. Anybody blue-eyed, that's Gentile. Anybody who ever eats bacon, that's Gentile. Everybody who lives in southern Oklahoma, that's Gentile. <laughs> there might be a Jew drive through now and then, but they don't stay. The whole place smells like <laughs> bacon, <laughs> shrimp, catfish. Oh, you live on Lake Texoma. We've got catfish. They say we've got catfish down under there by that dam as big as Volkswagens. I don't know. I've never seen one of them. But that, y'all, y'all heard the stories? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Over in Thackerville, they embellished those stories. Oh, yeah, the thing had teeth like a shark. I mean, swallowed two men while I was watching. You know, they, they really embellish it. <laughs> But that, that gospel is to us Gentiles, and it's just purely and simply about faith in the simple message that Christ died for our sins. Verse 3 says, And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. That is, God has no other plan than you. The first thing I want to say to you is that growth is part of your covenant. The second thing I want to say to you is that God has no other plan than you. Now, there is, a, there is what is considered to be a megachurch in this town. Okay? God still has no other plan than you. If we act like somebody else is going to get the job done that God's called us to do, listen real closely to me. Then what's the point of us even being alive? See, I say that God has a plan for each one of you. He has a plan for this congregation. He has a plan for your ministry here. That what you do is important, Tamara. What you do is important to change the world that you and only you, that part of the world that you and only you can reach. He has no other plan. He has no other plan. You're his plan. When Jesus left, he turned it all over to 12 men. Make that 11 men. He turned it over to 11 guys and said, All right, go preach the gospel to every creature. I'm out of here. By the way, I'm going to send you some power back. Just stay around Jerusalem. I'll send you some power. Big time power. All right. I'll be with you. I'll help you. But I'm turning it over to you. See, God has a plan. And you're the plan. He has no other plan than you. He, he, he's not going to take it to, to a certain extent. And they say, okay, I'm going, to have all the people, I'm going to have all my people stop talking to others about Jesus. I'm going to have all my people stop doing the things that they're doing in, in, in the kingdom of God. And then give it to angels. No, that's never going to happen. Or I'm going to raise up a super race that, that will do it in two days. No, that's not happening. He has no other plan than you. It's easy to get in a trend, though. You ever feel like, what am I doing? I'm just going through the motions. 
I get up in the morning, I brush my teeth, I comb my hair, I do the same thing, and after about 365 days in a row, that's just say, what am I doing here? I'll tell you what you're doing. You're just living the rhythms of life. And if you'll be perceptive, if you'll be aware, you'll have these God moments here and there. And those are the things that will stand out and create the memories that make you know you've had a significant life. It's not brushing your teeth every day that makes you know you have a significant life. That just makes you know you're going to get kissed that day. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> and that can be significant. I, I didn't mean that, sweetheart. I, like it sounded. That could, that, could, that could be a God moment. Amen. <laughs> but uh, it's easy to get in, get in the trap of the, you know, when things happen the same way all the time. John Garlock used to tell a story about how the Native Americans uh, uh, used to catch ducks. You ever hear the story? Native Americans could catch ducks. You know how, if you're, if you're a bird hunter, you know a duck is pretty difficult to shoot. They're pretty difficult to shoot and kill compared to some other birds. Everybody's hunting dove right now, you know, started yesterday. All around my house. I live in town. Boom, 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 all around. Where are these people, these gunshots coming from? Everywhere. Little, if there's 10 acres, you know, you can, you can hunt on it with a shotgun. Anyway, we were, I was hearing Brother Garlock tell the story about how the Native Americans would find ducks sitting on a river. And the ducks would be feeding, sitting on a river. He said the Indian would go up the stream and take a pumpkin and push it out into the water. And that pumpkin would float down. And as it approached the ducks, they saw it and all flew away. But in a few minutes, they came back. And the brave would push another pumpkin out of the water. And it floated down the river. And the ducks flew away again. But this time they didn't fly away as far and they didn't stay away as long. By the fourth or fifth pumpkin, it's just, they're just not even moving out of the way. The pumpkin is having to bump its way through the ducks. They've stopped being alarmed. A trend has developed, and the ducks have figured it out. Pumpkins don't hurt ducks. Then about that time, the brave takes a pumpkin, hollows it out, sticks it on his head, and walks out into the water. about float level, you know. He can walk right up to the ducks and even feel which one he wants because they think it's just a fish swimming by, you know. They don't, they don't get alarmed. He, he can take the fat ones and uh, pull him under, you know. Ducks are going under to, hunt, uh, to, to feed anyway, so when he pulls him um, uh, under, they all just think Ralph's gone for a little while. They don't realize Ralph is never coming back. Break the neck, you know, and pretty soon the brave walks back out of the water his belts are all strung with ducks. That's because ducks got the idea through a trend. Pumpkins don't hurt ducks. Let me say to you, this may be the way we've always done it, but it doesn't mean it's the best thing. Eventually, doing it the same way we've always done it creates disaster. God said to Abram, I want you to walk before me and be perfect. Well, <laughs> hello, your idea of perfection is kind of high. <laughs> I mean, if my wife says get perfect, well, I can probably reach that goal, at least in my mind. But when God says, I want you to walk before me and be perfect, how high is that standard? How's Abram going to do that? He's Abraham here. Well, no, he's still Abram. He gets his name changed in this chapter. How's he going to arrive at what God calls perfection? Huh? You all know how. You're already there. You just do that by faith. You just keep believing God. He considers it perfection. He considers it righteousness. He keeps telling Abram, you keep walking in this faith because I want you in this per perfect relationship with me. That's, the only, that's all it can be talking about. Abram later lies again about who Sarah is. Poor guy, he just couldn't, he just couldn't quit. 
I don't know how good looking she was, but I just can't imagine doing that. Can you? I, I just can't imagine saying, no, really, she's my sister, take her. I, I, I just, I can't, I can't get that in my mind. Verse 5 says, Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham, for a father of many nations have I made thee. So growth comes from your mouth. Do you understand? We've talked about this before. Growth comes from what you say. He said, he said here, I don't want you calling yourself Abram anymore. I want you calling yourself Abraham. Didn't matter to God what his name was. God called him father of multitudes of nations. The first time he talked to him, he said, I'm going to, make you the, I'm going to give you many children. But it mattered to Abraham what his name was because as long as Abram was calling himself father, that, it just wasn't enough. He had to call himself father of multitudes, father of nations. And when he began calling himself father of nations, things changed. I, I think I told you before, for 24 years, 24 years, God called him father of nations and he had no children. But after this event, when Abram started calling himself Abraham, Three months later, Sarah conceived. Wow. Wow. It's not enough for all those beautiful promises God has made to be in the Bible. Those promises have to get in your own mouth. You understand this? Before you activate it, you've got to start saying what God said. Because growth's going to come from, from how you speak. So let's just start in our own hearts, talking to these chairs. Fill up in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 And when you drive up here on, on Wednesday night or you drive up here on Sunday morning, say, man, I hope I can find a place to park. Yeah. By the way, speaking of parking, how do you like that new parking lot? That's all right. Yeah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I parked right by the front door. <laughs> awesome. That's where you need to start thinking. Oh, we've got to get there early. We gotta get there early if we're gonna get a seat. Walk in, there's a hundred seats open. Well, all right, I'm just talking about what I see in my heart about our church. Amen. Praise God. I hope that bank down there can 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 has got a big enough safe to keep all the money that's coming to me. <laughs> I may have to call them and see if they can open a branch just to handle my money. Amen. What's wrong with thinking big? Not a thing wrong with thinking big. I would rather think big and miss it than think small and hit it. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you rather think big and, hit and miss it than to think small and hit it? <laughs> Glory to God. So it starts with, with how you talk. This building right here. I don't know, some of you guys were here when this building was built. You, you were in on the instigation. Did it just happen here and then y'all come up and say, Woo, look here, we all of a sudden have a building. Or did you not start talking about it first? Everything starts with how you talk. This, buildings aren't built because people think about them. Buildings are built because people first talk about them. And when you talk about them, then it goes on paper. And you write it out. Amen. Glory to God, just like your Bible. And once it's written out, then somebody says, All right, now let's take some action. Glory to God. And the first action is to receive an offering. Amen. So, I'm not saying you have to inflate your numbers. I'm not, I'm not saying the, to inflate the numbers that you have. I'm saying inflate the numbers that you want to have. Talk your vision. Talk your vision. Talk big about what you expect, not just for the church, but for your own life. You know, if you don't like the job you have, you have to know that there is a better job for you out there. So you start talking about that better job out there. If you don't like the paycheck you have, start talking about that better paycheck. Amen. Well, thank you for your enthusiasm. Amen. Whatever you do, keep looking forward. Just keep looking forward. I, I think about Eliezer's, Eliezer's perspective, and I, I know I probably shared this with you a year ago, but I, just, I can't get over this, this guy, what it must have been like for Eliezer, the guy who follows Abram around in the desert. Abram calls himself father to everybody, walks up to King Abimelech, says, Hi, my name's Abram. King Abimelech says, 
Abram, oh, that means father. Yep, 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 that's my name. I'm father. Mm-hmm. Abimelech looks around behind him. Well, where are your kids? <laughs> well, pulls that 87-year-old woman up there beside him, says, me and the little missus here hadn't started our family yet. <laughs> that yet word's a big word when you're 87, right. looking to have a baby. Right? I hear women in their 30s say, well, you know, that biological clock is ticking. Well, hers wasn't ticking. Hers was sounding like Big Ben. Bong! Bong! She's old. She's old, needing a baby now. We don't need to be waiting. Time's going by. It's just getting ridiculous. She was 90 years old when she had that baby. 90 years old. Abraham, she was 89 when she conceived. 89. Most, most people don't live to be 89. She's starting her family. The miracle power of God. Because I'm Abraham. I'm father of a multitude of nations. Eliezer, I can just see him every time Abraham introduces himself to somebody. Yeah, my name's father. Got no kids. We hadn't started yet. Then he comes home from this meeting where God told him, I want you to change your name. And right after that, he said, and to prove that I'm talking to you, you're going to circumcise yourself and every man that's going to be with you is going to be circumcised as well. Even when you start having children, all them, all the men, everybody's going to be circumcised. I hope I don't have to explain what circumcision is. Just be glad you're a girl. Amen. My dad had to be circumcised when he was in the army. Ouch. Yeah. Because I say it was just one of the regulations. I think about Eliezer out there. Abraham comes home, comes back to the farm. It was a mobile farm. He comes back to the farm. You know he's been in the presence of God. Maybe he's glowing. We don't know. But you know, you can tell when someone's just come out of the presence of the Lord. They've been worshiping the Lord. They've got this look about them. This holy, dangerous look about them. Right? <laughs> and uh, he, he's got that look about him. Eliezer comes out. Mr. Bossman, where have you been? I've been meeting with God. Oh. That's wonderful. Did he speak to you? Yes, he spoke with me. What did he say? <clears throat> he changed my name. What? Hold it right there, sir. Hey, fellas, get over here quick like the boss man's got a new name. I knew there was a God in heaven. I've been praying about the I have no idea, sir. I No offense, but I never did like that name. I always got so embarrassed. It was a, I was just, you know, Bill, George, Paul, Ringo, anything, but... But, ugh, Father, that name always bugged me. Well, you don't have to call me Father anymore. From now on, you call me Father of a multitude of nations. <laughs> can you just see Eliezer? Oh, God, I feel sick. I can almost see him falling face down in the dirt, you know. And Abraham picks him up, sits him on a rock, and wipes the dirt out of his eyes. And then he tells him what he's going to have to do to keep his job. Okay, let me get this straight. We no longer call you father, but we call you father of a multitude of nations. And then we're going to take our knives. And we're going to do what with them? What did you say? To, I can't believe you said that. The Bible's funny, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> it's awesomely funny. But I'm telling you, that is how we know God talked to Abram. That is how we know the fact that circumcision thing came. Because anybody who's just making it up and saying it's God, like David Koresh, anybody who's just making it up, it never involves a man taking a knife to himself like that. If you're just making your own religion up. It was either God or he had completely lost his mind. It's how we know God. Now, I'm, not, I'm saying no man makes that kind of thing up. A, a woman might, but there's no man going to make that up. All right? 
God talked to him. That's how we know. Notice verse 6. And I will make you exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come out of you. I want to say to you, you should expect to influence prominent people. It's part of your covenant. You can influence prominent people. Why can't? Why can't we have a spirit-filled, tongue-talking, Bible-thumping, devil-chasing man of God be the President of the United States? Why do we have to settle for what we've had all these years? Wouldn't it just be wonderful just to have one chance at it? Somebody that really knows how to pray. Somebody that really knows what the Word of God teaches. Somebody that really knows what salvation by grace through faith is. Wouldn't it just be wonderful to have that person in the White House? We've had close to it. We've had some good people. I'm not denigrating everybody. I'm just saying, wouldn't you just like to see one guy like Frank be president? (laughs) I I would just love that. Just give us a shot. Well, I think we should expect that. Let's expect to influence important and prominent people. We go after the poor and down and out. It's our nature to do that. Because the gospel is so full of love and compassion and kindness for the hurting. Well, that's just our natural flow to go after them. But let's not forget Paul preached to King Agrippa. Paul stood before Caesar, the most powerful man in the world. Amen. Let's expect that God will give us opportunity to influence the prominent people here in our county. Bryan County needs to hear the gospel of Christ. Maybe they think they have, but you know what? I still think I drove past a a, a few places where where they sell liquor and all that on the way up here. I think there's room for improvement. They've got people right now, about four miles from here, who are blowing their lives away on gambling instead of being in church. I'm not being judgmental. I'm saying... There's a reason why we're here. God put us here because there's great need in this area. And I believe that if we get our hearts out there and just hear, as the children of Abraham, the children of faith, that we can begin to influence influential people. Can I have a good amen? All right. You have a right. You have a right to touch lives that that others are not touching. Uh, Verse 7. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. So let's plan for the next generation. And you all do this here. We're already doing that here. That's why we have Israel and Whitney here. That's why we have our children's ministry going here. Pastor Curtis up there. That children's ministry room is amazing. I mean, it's just amazing and all that goes on. You know, but we have to. What, what else are we going to spend our money on? We can spend our money on ourselves, or we can spend our money on the next generation, planning for them to come, because they will come if we plan for them. Everybody understand this? They will come if we plan for them. So youth and children, did you know that the average person, average person that is saved now got saved? The average age, that everybody who's saved now, the average age that they got saved, who knows what it was? The average, everybody who's saved now, the average age that they, got, that they were, that all of us were when we got saved, was 11 years old. So you're in the ballpark, 8 to 12. 11 years old. The average person gets saved at 11 years old. If they're going to get saved, they get saved on an average. I wonder what we ought to be focusing on with respect to the emphasis of our ministries. I'm not saying there's not not need for all all realms, but if we're going to see people one to Jesus, we're going to have to go after them early for the most part. Now, Ann and I have won a lot of older people to the Lord because I give altar calls at funerals. I do, without apology. Now, I'm not saying I do that uh, against the wishes of the family. If the family doesn't wish that, then I won't do that. But they often will say, we want you to give an invitation to the friends that are there to, to come know the Lord. So I've often just had them get up out of their seats and come forward. I've had old men on canes come down. 
I preached a funeral in San Angelo, Texas a number of years ago. They called me to out there because I'd pastored there a number of years before that, you know, so I knew a lot of people. And one, old, one, one friend of mine passed away, an older man. And he had an old brother who was much older than him. He was pushing 90, and that man was not saved. He lived that whole life, his whole time, and not saved. And the man who had passed away, his best friend, was not saved. He'd witnessed to him. But the guy just never got saved. And he always said those were the two regrets. He had won a lot of people to the Lord. The guy witnessed to people, talked to them about Jesus. But these two never got saved, and it bothered him. He, he passed away never having won his older brother and his best friend to the Lord. They were both at that funeral. Are you already ahead of me? You know what happened at that funeral? I preached the gospel of Christ. And those two old men got up out of their seats and came forward and stood with me in front of that casket where Jerry Slough was, <laughs> his body was lying. And both of them prayed a prayer just like a little child to receive Christ into their hearts and be born again. Glory to God. Glory to God. I'm not saying, I'm not saying we shouldn't preach to older people and get, get them, get them you know, to the Lord. Praise God. I mean, if you're, if you're on the edge of the abyss, it's a good, it's a good time to get right. <laughs> be a good time to take hold of the rope <laughs> amen but this part here planned for the next generation that has to do with our reproduction appetite, growth, reproduction part of the signs of life verse 8 now I've given to thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession and I will be their God I want you to stop thinking about taking part. I want you to stop thinking about taking sides. I want you to start thinking about taking over. We, we tend to take part. We tend to take sides. But we're really supposed to be thinking about taking over. Take over. It's not the end. Christianity is not near through. In fact, spirit-filled Christianity is the only part of Christianity that's still growing. Denominational Christianity is shrinking. People who experience the presence and power of God, love the Holy Spirit, worship Jesus because in the fundamental way, and who He is, believing that He died and was buried and rose again for us. People like us, this is the only arm of Christianity that's still growing. Personally, I say it's, the, it's Christianity and it's still growing. That other part is really, whether that's really Christianity, I don't know. Socially it is, but if you've not received Jesus as, as your Savior, you're not born again, you don't know Him personally and believe that He died for your sins, then you're not really a Christian. You might be a, 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 you know, a, a social Christian, but Christianity is not, not a society. It's a personal experience with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And your faith is personal. You are children of Abraham. Children of, not part of a society. You are children of Abraham. Personally a child. If my wife had had 300 children, she would know them all by name. Now she might call them by the wrong name once in a while. <laughs> but she would know them all personally and intimately. It doesn't matter how many children this woman has. She would have, she would have that thing about them that makes her relationship with each one of them special. And it would be very unique in and of itself. You understand this? She, couldn't just, she would never just say, oh, that, that bunch that calls themselves my kids. No, she, would be, she, she has a personal identity with each and every one of them. God sees you as though you are the only child in His family. We're all only children, except there are billions of us. You understand that? He has His personal interest in every person. I don't know how He does it, but He does it. Somehow, He does it. And so it's important to Him the decisions you make. It's important to Him the things that you let into your life. The things you think, the things you say, it's important to God because He knows all that, all, all the ways you think prep you for whether or not you're going to take sides or take part or take over. Come on, ask for me, I'm taking over. It'd be a good idea for you to just say that yourself. That's for me, I'm taking over. I'm taking over. Amen. Verse 9. 
God said to Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant before, uh, therefore thou and thy seed after thee in their generations. He's just saying, live like you know God. Live like you know God. And then that part about your generations after you, the seventh thing I want to say to you is teach, 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 teach. When you're talking generations, you have to teach, 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 teach. And if you'll make the teaching worthwhile where somebody wants to listen to it, then they'll, you'll, you'll have an audience to teach, 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 teach. Or your pastor, he, he just leaves his board up all the time. No. He's, he's totally convinced. You've got to teach, 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 teach. If five show up, we teach, teach, teach. If 500 show up, we teach, teach, teach. Because new generations are coming all the time. You would be appalled if I told you how many second-year students at Christ for the Nations. I think the greatest Bible school on the planet. Amen. Got some snifers here. <laughs> CF and ours, it's shortened it to snifers. We... Uh, You'd be appalled at how many of them are not that familiar with Old Testament Bible stories. I'm having to teach them Bible stories as though they're at vacation Bible school. If I say, well, you remember Gideon? Uh, was he the one that killed the Philistines? <laughs> the one with the big muscles? No, Samson didn't have big muscles! Yes, he did. I've got a doll. It was the mystery why he was strong. If it had big muscles, they would have known why he was strong. <laughs> okay, anyway. I mean, that's the kind of stuff you deal with second-year students. It's not that they're dumb. It's that they gave up. The leadership has given up on teach, 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 teach. Turn it over to the public schools like they're going to teach the Bible. No offense, Miss Donna. <laughs> huh? We do, we do an art, praise God. Art Amen. Art history is Bible. Amen. Amen. You can't, you can't teach about Leonardo without teaching something from the Bible. That's right. Amen. Michelangelo and all that. Renaissance, born out of the Reformation, which created Western civilization. Amen. That has to do with appetite. You've got to be hungry for the Word to be taught. All right, verse 10. We're moving right along. Everybody still with me? Who'll give me three more minutes? Come on, let me see your hands. Who'll give me three, three, four, three, six, nine, ten, twelve? Okay. This is my covenant which ye shall keep between me and you and my, thy seed. After thee, every man child among you shall be circumcised. So we're going to emphasize the new birth and new creation. That's what circumcision of the Old Testament means for the new. That means the new creation, new birth. I think it ought to be emphasized more. That you are a new creature. You don't have an old nature. You don't have a sin nature that you're dealing with. That's what believing in Jesus means. When Paul said, I am crucified with Christ, he didn't say that he physically, literally was crucified with Christ. He was crucified with Christ in a spiritual sense. His emotions weren't crucified with him. His mind wasn't crucified with him. And his body certainly wasn't crucified with him. It was his spirit man that was crucified with Christ. So you have to consider your old man dead. You don't, you don't have an old nature in there that you're dealing with. What you're dealing with, your pastor... I'm sure teaches you all this. What you're dealing with and that looks like the old person is the memories and the, and the, and the entrenched habits of your soul. That's why we're working, our, working out our salvation on a daily basis, not working for it. You got born again by the act of God's free grace. Hallelujah, made you righteous the moment you believed. How many of you are thankful for that? That's what the Bible calls justification. But in the here and now, we are working on our salvation, working it out by faith for our minds, our wills, our emotions, how we think, how we feel, how we respond, those kind of things. You see, that's where you, that's where you are in your actions of faith right now. But the first thing was settled at Calvary, glory to God. The moment you believed on Jesus, you can, you can boldly say, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen. I do not frustrate, verse 21 says there in Galatians chapter 2, I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness comes by the law, then Christ is dead in vain or died for nothing. My goodness. So we emphasize the new birth. Emphasize what it means to be a new creature. 
It has nothing to do with how you perform. It has nothing to do with how you act, how good you are. It really has nothing to do with it. Because if it had something to do with it, are you hearing me? None of us would get it. You can't get this kind of perfection by how you perform. You get this kind of perfection by how Jesus performed. Amen. Amen. And you going to heaven, hear me, you going to heaven is not how God pays you for having done well. You going to heaven is how God pays Jesus for what he did. You are God's reward for Jesus. So we emphasize the new birth because the new birth is everything. I know a story about a woman named Mary who had a car accident a number of years ago. Her pastor, Dr. Bus Kirk, tells this story. He said that he was called to the hospital. Mary had had a, had a car crash and had irreversible damage to her brain and she, was, she had permanent amnesia. They have another name for it, but that's all I know, permanent memory loss. And it was almost total. I mean, she still knew how to walk, she knew how to eat, she knew those kind of things, but she didn't know who anyone was. She didn't even know who she was. And uh, they were trying to retrain her, and, and they have methods for helping people come back, but it was, it was very severe. And uh, when she came out of the coma from the head injury, the head trauma, this was her condition. He went to the hospital. He said, I stood by her bed and introduced myself because they had told me that she had lost all memory. And uh, he said, I know, Mary, you don't know who I am, but I'm your pastor and I've been your pastor for the last 20, 25 years, whatever it was. And she said, well, you're right about one thing, sir. I don't know who you are. She said, in fact, this man standing here beside you who says he's my husband, I just have to accept that. She said, because I don't know him either. Those two young women down there with those little children, they say they're my daughters. I just have to accept that. But I don't know that for a fact. He said, I, she said, I don't even know who I am, that my name is Mary, except they've told me that's who I am. She said, sir, I can't lay my mind upon one memory of anything about my life to this point except for this one. He said, what is that? She said, I just know that somewhere, sometime, I met Jesus Christ. You ought to shout big over that. Do you see what that means? Everything else really is a part of our soul. That relationship is a part of your spirit, and that can't be knocked out of you. <laughs> Glory to God. We need to emphasize what knowing the Lord really means. It's a deeply powerful, spiritually transforming relationship that even being married and having children will not compare to. Glory to God. Somewhere, sometime, I met Jesus Christ. That's so powerful. Your life is really of the Spirit. Who you are is really about your Spirit. Everything that's good and decent and powerful comes out of your Spirit. Amen. I'm not saying that you can't say powerful things from your thoughts, but they're fleeting. I thought I had said some powerful things one time when I was preaching. I started in on one of my many Shakespeare quotes. And it had relevance to the sermon. This was years ago. I said, to be or not to be, that is the question. Whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune or to take arms against a sea of troubles and by opposing in them to die, to sleep no more. And by our sleep to say we end the heartache and the thousand natural shocks that flesh is heir to. Tis a consummation devoutly to be wished. Well, anyway, it goes on and on. <laughs> I had done that in the sermon. I had sung a little bit in the sermon. Oh, to be his hand extended 
reaching out to the oppressed. After the... Did he say, please quit? Oh, okay. After the sermon, after the altar call, we had a great time. Did he, what did he say, what's that? Oh, okay. That's singing, little boy. Singing. I stepped down off the platform, and a lady walks up to me. She says, Brother Holler, you are an amazing man. I said, well, thank you very much. I, I guess uh, you don't really expect a country boy to quote Shakespeare. Yeah. <laughs> she said, she said, uh, she said, no, no, I, I know you're educated. I said, well, what makes me so amazing? She said, when you sing, you sound like Jim Neighbors. <laughs> you all remember Jim Neighbors, how you sing? She said, but when you speak, you sound just like Gomer Pyle. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I'll take that as a compliment, woman. Amen. Verse 11. And you shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you, every man, child, in your generations. He that is born in the house or bought with money of any stranger which is not of thy seed. He that is born in thy house and he that is bought with thy money must needs be circumcised and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. Do you see this is all inclusive? So what I want to say to you, how this translates for our New Testament day, please remember in all your growing, in all your appetite, in all of your reproduction and your elimination, include everybody. Include everybody. We do what we can in your life. Include everybody. Husbands, don't just bring home that Harley without talking it over with her first. You talk to everybody but her about that thing. No, you're just better off if you include people. And if the church, in our, in our church, and we, when we're involved, if you're involved in every offering, if you have to pull a button off your shirt to be involved in that offering, you know, just be involved. Find a way to be involved. You know, when we have a work day, say, so I'm, I'm going to be there. You know, make it happen. I know, I know you're not shouting now, but I'm going to keep talking. It, 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 you know, just, we want to, and include people in your life. When you've got a big decision to make, call one of these elders. Call the pastor. Get their in input because they know God in a way that maybe you don't know. They're called to leadership. That's why they're here. You understand that? You know, pray in the Holy Ghost. Talk to the Lord. Get the Bible out. But be inclusive in the way you live your life. Don't just live your life and say, well, I, this is my decision. I'm going to make the decision. Well, okay, you can live that way, but eventually you're going to find yourself on an island wishing you had input, wishing you had somebody speaking into your life. Can I have a good amen here? So just include everybody. We'll make a, we're going to have a great church here. We have a great church here, but we're going to have a wonderful church here that does things that, that others just haven't done and aren't doing. And the uncircumcised man-child whose flesh in, uh, of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So let me just say to you to end this message, those who do not identify with the church eventually will leave. They can't be a part of it. If you don't identify with who we are as a people. I know we teach a message that's strange here. Uh, sometimes it's a bit strange to those who are in the religious world. When we talk about grace the way we do here, when we talk about the salvation that comes so, so simply and that the grace of God is what brought us in and it's the grace of God that will keep you in. God will not act like a used car salesman to tell you it's one price but get you to wind up buying something else. Now, no offense to a good used car salesman. If that's you, God bless you. But I'm just saying, it's a trick. They call it bait and switch. Advertise one thing, give them something else. Okay, God's not like that. He does not get you in gently, but make you become some, some sort of weird old robot to keep you in. You know, I, I don't understand that. I don't understand how churches do that, especially to women. They'll come in and get saved. You know, come in and get saved. The free grace of God to bring a woman in. The next thing they do, now if you're going to stay saved, you've got to change the way you dress. Let me say to you, you, that girl will change the way she dresses because she is saved. That guy will get rid of that stuff out of his life because he is saved. Amen. He might not tomorrow and he might not the next day. 
But if he can just begin to identify with Christ, the moment you identify with Christ, and it becomes a reality to you that you are a different breed. Now, you are a new creature now. Your life will change for the better. You will begin to automatically line up. I don't know about you, but some stuff just fell off me. I just got all kinds of things that I just don't do anymore. Not because somebody told me I gotta in order to stay saved. I just don't believe that nonsense. It happened because I just stayed in love with him. I, I, my wife and I, my life has changed just because I'm married to an interior decorator. For one thing, I learned how to use tools. Besides, tools besides something that works on a car. I mean, other kinds of tools. More carpentry tools, that kind of thing. Because interior decorators are perpetually putting up curtains <laughs> and taking them down. Patching the wall and then putting new curtains up and taking them down. <laughs> she just shakes her head. She wants to say something, but she can't because she knows that's the truth. <laughs> we just get it painted. The paint is just barely dry. What do you think about this color? I think that color's good. The one that's on there is a real good color, but I want this color. Well, I'd like that color. That one just got dried. She said, John, that was three years ago we painted that wall. Well, okay, so it just got dry. It takes a long time for the paint to dry. <laughs> but I've learned some things just being with her. Learned a lot about decorating. I didn't say I liked it. But I learned a lot about it. In fact, I learned something. Let me tell you guys something. I'm going to give you a trick to enjoying shopping. How many of you guys just really don't like shopping? Let me see your hands. Yeah. Amen. Two guys raised their hands that didn't really want to, but they did because everybody else did. Yeah. I got a couple of friends that like shopping. I don't know. Don't know why they're my friends. I'm going to give you a trick. Go with the one you love. I was complaining to the Lord about it one day. I walk, I'm telling you, walked into a, a, a junk store, uh, pardon me, an antique store. Walked in there where they had all this junk. And, and uh, man, you can buy brand new ones for the price of that. I, I don't get it. Anyway, walked into this antique store, and I did not want to be there. And I just looked for the nearest place to sit down and just wait for it. And I just sat down. And the Holy Spirit said, what are you doing? Okay. I, I, anytime he asks me something like that, I know I'm about to get it. That's, I'm just sitting there. I'm just tired. I just don't want to be here. I just hate this. I just hate this. Why does she have to just come look around? We'll look around for an hour and walk out with nothing. <laughs> I don't, he said, go be with your wife and just watch her. Watch how she enjoys this. Stop thinking at the, about the stuff and watch her. Well, I like her. I really like her. In fact, in fact, I told her this morning, I told her this morning, I said, you know, we've had a pretty good first 42 years. It's coming up 42 years in January. I said, it, it, it's been so good, honey. I think I'm, I'm going to give you, well, all I can guarantee is I'm going to give you 42 more, but after that we'll, we'll reevaluate. <laughs> See if, if this is going to work out. Well, we... Uh, I got up and I said, all right, by faith, I'm going to go do it. And I just started walking around with her. And I would just look at her, looked at her face. When she would see something, that sparkle in her face, it just began. And then I'd look at the thing and say, okay, she sees something in that. <laughs> that's not just an old piece of glass. That's, you know, because when I see old glass, you guys, you know what I'm thinking. Line it up on top of fence posts and see if you can shoot it. You know, I mean, that's, that's all I'm thinking about. I, I, <laughs> right, <laughs> but she uh, she saw something in it. She said, "Oh, I love this. Look at the paint." I'm going, "Okay, I'm trying, trying not to be sleepy." But I learned, I learned to watch her, watch her, and I developed my appreciation for what she loved. Developed out of my love for her. <laughs> you say, "I don't. I'd love to go to church, but I just can't stand people." Listen, just listen. Keep your eyes focused squarely on God, on His Word, and see what He loves. He loves people. You'll learn how to love people if you just stay in love with God. 
Are you hearing me? I can't stand it when that preacher talks about money. Uh, again, just get back to the Bible. Just get back to the Bible and see what God thinks about money, how he's, he considers himself plenty rich. And therefore, if he's rich, then he kind of sees you as rich, potentially. Amen. How many of you know that the Lord would really rather have that Mercedes Benz sitting at, at the river on Sunday morning than at the bar on Saturday night? Wouldn't he rather have that car sitting here than down there? On, huh? Then at the casino on Saturday night, wouldn't he really rather have it here? So he has no problem with any of that. God doesn't think poor. He doesn't think poor at all. He thinks about poor people, but he doesn't think, he doesn't think poor. He doesn't think, oh my goodness, how will I ever pay my bills? Can you imagine what the light bill is in heaven? <laughs> he doesn't think like that. He never, he never wringing his hands. Oh, I don't know how I'm going to get those missionaries out there. Oh my goodness, my goodness, my goodness. What shall we ever do? God doesn't do that. He's not, he's not a bit worried about anything. Glory to God. Because he sees you already plenty prosperous. So why would you be offended that the preacher talks about money? It's just silly. It's just silly to be that. Because when you think like that, you're thinking about it. You, you, you worship a little tiny God. I don't know if any of you have seen the Avengers. But I did. Did you see the Hulk? The Hulk is in the Avengers, right? And he gets the bad guy who says, I'm God! You can't do this to me! And the Hulk grabs him. Bam, 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 bam. <laughs> Just leaves him in a, in a pile of mush and says, puny God. <laughs> Come on, anybody see that? Come on, be honest. Okay, a few of us saw that. I love that. It's awesome. I don't worship a puny God. Yeah. Amen. I don't worship a broke God. I worship a big God. Amen. amen. Can I have a good amen? <laughs> Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the signs of life, appetite, growth, reproduction, and elimination, that there are certainly going to be people who come into our lives that just can't stay. There are certainly going to be things that come through our lives that are not supposed to stick. But for those things that you give us, we open our hearts today to receive appetite, growth, reproduction, and the putting off of those things that do not belong. 